Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. Back in the 90s, there was a, a program on TV called Sliders. I don't know if any of you can remember it. It was a science fiction story in which the main character had invented a device that allowed himself and others to slide between alternate realities. And these other realities looked like Earth, but they were different because significant events in history had turned out differently in, in this other reality. So it was quite a lot the same, but it was different. Different people were in political power and things like that. The fascinating thing about it was that um, it revolved around the possibility of an alternate dimension. And uh, we live in this natural world, as we know it, and so no other alternative thing seems possible, does it? We're just used to, this is how we know it. And yet, as we read the Bible, we become aware that there's a spiritual dimension as well. And we can't see this dimension with our eyes, so its reality is often pushed back, perhaps in our minds, and given a low priority. People who don't know anything of God refuse to believe that there is such a spiritual dimension and often ridicule those who speak of it. But as we're reading in the Old Testament, we discover that God made a covenant, that is, a contract with Abraham, the ancestor of the Jews, and that contract has remained in place even after Abraham's death. And we see that down through the centuries, God remembered his covenant that he made with Abraham and has continually showed his care for the nation of Israel. When necessary, God fed them, he protected them, and so the people of Israel worshipped the God they couldn't see with their own eyes. God was moving in a spiritual dimension, a dimension that they couldn't see in the natural, but they could see the effects of it. In the New Testament Gospels, we meet Jesus the Son of God, who walked on the earth as a man. Everyone could see him. He ate, he drank, he slept, and he lived like everyone else. But unlike everyone else, he was able to see into the spiritual dimension and take action there. Consider the story of Lazarus. Now, this is a really long passage, so we're not going to read all of it. We'll read the first 17 verses and then jump over about 20 verses. So, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness is not, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified, may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. 
But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you're going to, yet you're going to go back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, you'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him now. Let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And uh, we'll now skip over about the next 20 verses which basically um, cover the conversation between Mary and Martha that they had with Jesus when he arrived. So let's continue at verse 38. And it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So he took away the stone Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out with his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave's clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. And now we've got a photo in the next slide. So this is uh, when we're in Israel. Um, you see these, these tombs um, around the place, and that one's actually on the side of the road where the bus pulled up so we could get a photo of it. So as we understand it, that's how the tombs were in Israel. So coming back to Lazarus, it's the last part of the story here that really fascinates me. You see, Jesus comes to the tomb where the body of Lazarus has been laying for four days. He's dead. And uh, in our Day Connect study that we did recently, a few weeks ago, um, we sort of heard that um, if if he'd just been dead five minutes and Jesus had turned up and said, come forth, people would have thought, he wasn't really dead at all, he was just asleep. But right, he's been there for four days, so now people should be convinced that he's dead. And we see death as an impenetrable barrier. Right? When our friends or our family um, step from life into death, then for us, that's the end. Right? We can no longer interact with them. 
But what happens here? Jesus calls out to Lazarus and tells him to come out. Wherever the spirit of Lazarus was, it was able to hear Jesus' voice and respond. Jesus was standing at the door of the tomb and speaking aloud. Everybody could hear him. But at the same time, Jesus was also speaking into the spirit world and commanding Lazarus to come out. And in this spiritual dimension, Lazarus heard Jesus' call and he obeyed. We need to grasp that when we pray, we're speaking into a spiritual dimension. And when we speak in this spiritual dimension, God hears us. Because we can't see this happening with our normal eyes, there's, I guess, sometimes a temptation to wonder if anyone's listening to our words. <laughs> to quote from about the only bit of Shakespeare I can remember from school, in Hamlet it says, My words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. You know, sometimes we feel like we're, um, we're praying, but uh, where are the words going? So I want to tell you my own experience, and some of you have heard this from some few years back. Um, you know, during my working life, I was always really healthy. I rarely went to the doctor, but since I've retired, I've been in hospital three times. <laughs> and um, I retired from work on, on a week leading up to Christmas, and during that week, there was a serious pain in my body. And I, um, I went to visit the duty doctor who didn't know what to do without tests. And because it was Christmas Eve, uh, nothing could be done until after Christmas. And on uh, Christmas morning, I went to church and I came here and I was feeling really ill. And Pastor Vic met me at the door as I was going in and I said, look, I'm really ill, pray for me. So he laid his hands on me and prayed for me. And during the service that morning, the pain completely went away. And I had a follow-up visit to another duty doctor who suggested that I may have had an abscess in my body and it had burst. About a year or more went by and then the pain returned. <laughs> so I did the obvious. I went and got Pastor Vic to pray for me again. But this time, the pain just got worse. And I ended up in the Royal Adelaide Hospital with septicemia because of this abscess in my body. To remove the abscess, you had to cut a really big hole in my body that took four months to heal up. But when it was done, I thought, right, that's done and dusted. I won't have to worry about that again. But to my surprise, five months later, it returned. And um, it must have been on the weekend. My wife took me to the doctor who realised what was happening. And as I said, because it was a weekend, he stuck me in the Murray Bridge Hospital and they started pumping me full of antibiotics because um, they said, you won't get operated on until next week if you go to the Royal Adelaide anyway. So the doctor said, there's three possibilities. Um, after the antibiotics are pumped into me, it might just go away. Probably won't, but it might go away. Or it might burst. But most likely, I'll have to go back to the Royal Adelaide Hospital for surgery. And so I didn't like that idea because I'd been there and done that. And after two days in hospital, nothing seemed to have changed. And in the early hours of Monday morning, I was laying in the hospital, unable to sleep because I was so ill. And I, was just, I thought, I just want this to be over. <laughs> the trouble is I knew the worst of it was yet to come. 
And as I laid there, I began to pray, and I prayed a really short, simple prayer along the lines of, please, Lord, I don't want to have to go through all this again. It's almost Christmas. My children and grandchildren will be here. I don't want to be getting around with a wound that needs repacking every day. And that's sort of basically the essence of my prayer. And I prayed it maybe four times over the next 20 minutes, and then finally I went to sleep. And when I woke up, it was daylight, and I was feeling a little bit better. And when the doctor visited me, he decided he'd keep me in the hospital here just for a bit longer and see if it continued to get better. However, as the day wore on, nothing seemed to improve. But the next morning, things changed dramatically. On the next morning, on the Tuesday, there was the day of the Day Connect um, here at the church. And uh, as they were meeting, as they were winding up, at 11.20am, they began to pray for me. At 11.20am down at the hospital, I got out of bed and suddenly this abscess burst and it punched right out through my skin and uh, let all this infected fluid out. And immediately I began to feel a lot better. And uh, after getting cleaned up and getting back into bed, I had the sensation of being really peaceful. And I mean, really peaceful. And I was wondering about this peaceful feeling and I began to see a vision and initially I thought, I must be daydreaming. But as it unfolded, I realised that this wasn't a daydream. And in this vision, I saw that in the early hours of the previous morning, as I was laid in my bed praying, I'd come into the courts of heaven and was standing before God's throne. And you might remember me saying before, and I stood there with my right arm up, like this and in my hand was a bit of paper that said Lord I want to be healed without surgery and um, and as I stood there I could see that this bit of paper was stamped done in big bold capital letters and there was a border around it right it was really clear and the vision ended and I was lying there thinking whoa what just happened there was this powerful presence of God there and I realised that it couldn't have been a daydream. Right? I hadn't had a vision before or since, but that's what I saw. The obvious takeaway for me from that was I now understand that when we pray, we're moving in a spiritual dimension and our prayers are coming before God. Right? We can't see it with our normal eyes, but it's still happening. When Christians are praying, we are moving in two separate dimensions at once. There is our normal earthly dimension, which we're familiar with, but at the same time, we're moving in a spiritual dimension as well, one that we can't see with our eyes. As we are praying, our words are crossing into this spiritual dimension and they're coming into the presence of God. Before this event, I would often pray for God's presence to come. And sometimes it would seem like it was difficult to achieve. But now I know in reality that it's not just God's presence coming to us, it's us coming close to God and st stepping into his presence. People in this church years ago used to say, we were praying and God showed up. You know, it used to be sort of a saying. And I must confess that I never really liked that term because I thought, well, God's always here with us. But you see, what's really happened is that when we've prayed, we've stepped into a spiritual dimension. 
And so actually it's us that have turned up and showed up in his presence and not the other way around, as we often seem to think. When we realise that we're stepping into spiritual dimensions, it will change the way you think and pray. I've realised that as I pray, I'm stepping into a dimension of the Spirit where God is waiting for me and wants to interact with me. And he's standing, he's waiting for you to step into that dimension so he can interact with you as well. And because he's God, he can interact with all of us at the same time. It's pretty amazing. Prayer is not a monologue where we are trying to convince God to do something for you. Right? Prayer is stepping into spiritual dimensions and helping shift things through your faith, through your repentance, through your activities with God, so that heaven can come to earth. We might be praying for ourselves or our family or for our church or for our nation, but as we pray, our prayers must be in line with the word of God so that he, he can use them to bring about change in the earth. You might be thinking, well, how can I pray for my situation? And the answer is just pray for results that are in line with God's plans for your life. And that, to put it more simply, in line with the word of God God's in the Bible. For example, if some issue is preventing you from completing your tasks that you believe God has given you and praying against the issue has not worked, then you can perhaps try reminding God of the work that he's given you to do and that you will need the issue removed so that you can fulfil his commission. When you pray, seek God's agenda, right? And then pray that his agenda will be fulfilled in your life. When we understand that praying takes you to, uh, into a spiritual realm, into the very presence of God, where you can make your requests known, it will change the way you see prayer. Um, before I move on, I just come back to add an extra insight to my story concerning that vision that I saw. About four or five weeks before that, I was preaching here, and during the sermon, I looked at Isaiah chapter 6. And when I finished what I was saying concerning chapter 6, I came back to the verse 1 where Isaiah writes, And in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And after reading this out to you all, I somewhat cheekily said, you would have thought that if Isaiah had seen the Lord, he could have at least told us what good it looks like, because we'd all like to know. <laughs> but he didn't. I believe that I've been into the courts of heaven and stood before God's throne, which I saw clearly, but I can't tell you what God looked like, although I knew I was standing in front of him and he was there. I couldn't actually see him because it was like his visage was greyed out like a cloud and not visible to me. Right? So don't come to me after and say, well, what did God look like? Because <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> I can tell you what his throne looked like, but not what he looked like. As I said a few minutes ago, <clears throat> prayer is not a monologue where we talk non-stop to God making requests. Rather, it's a vehicle for us to use to draw close 
to God, to cultivate our friendship with him and download the plans and the insights we need to birth God's purposes on the earth. Prayer is a tool that we can use to bring God's agenda to life in, our, in us, in our lives. Now, if we want to see God's agenda getting rolled out in our lives, we've got to take an active part in it. And look, I've got to confess that for years I was rather passive concerning the things that God had shown me or the words that had been prophesied over me. I just thought, well, if this is God's plan, it'll happen. And I guess that's the easy option. It required no commitment on my behalf. God's agenda always needs workers and the agenda he has given you, if it seems too hard, then it's time to pray and seek his direction and help. We have to step into the conflict. That is the area where you're struggling, you're struggling with and pray, pray it through for a resolution. You see, the worst thing we can do is have a God-given plan but then do nothing about it. It can be very easy to look at God's agenda as it relates to you and ex explain it away. Is God really asking me to do this or am I just dreaming? It's easy to rationalise away God's directions. Um, I remember when we were living in Sejuna, before we lived in Murray Bridge, one Saturday afternoon, there was, a, there was another small church in Sejuna and um, that seemed to be good people there and... Um, I expect they were struggling along a bit financially. And one Saturday afternoon, God said to me, I want you to take some money and give it to the pastor of this church. Now, God had never ever told me to do anything like this before. And I'm saying, thinking, is that really you, God? Are you really telling me to do this? And I began to rationalise it away because, well, I don't really know where he lives. I kind of got an idea he lives over in that street, over in that part of town, but I don't know where he lives. And the other thing was, and I don't remember, but whether I actually had the money <laughs> to give him. Because um, this is in the days, there was no ATMs in Sejuna at the time, and I didn't have a credit card. The only way I could get money was to go to the bank with my, with my bank book and get money. Right? So it's a few years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is a few years ago. <laughs> we just take it for granted now, don't we? Go to the ATM. So... But you see, there was all these, little, all these little issues that were sort of there and they, they seemed like little problems and I don't, can't remember now whether, I'm guessing I must have been able to overcome it. I must have had the money on hand. I don't think God would have said, go and give him this amount of money. But I think that was probably the only money I had on a weekend, right? So it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a I guess, a faith thing. And I must confess I failed. I rationalised it away and thought, no, this can't be right. <laughs> and I did nothing. Some years later, it was probably some years went by before God asked me to do something like that again. And the next time I realised, oh, this was God talking to me the first time and I, I missed, messed it up. You know, I just missed this completely. And um, by then that, pastor had moved away and um, always thought if I meet up with him I've got to apologise to him because um, I let him down. Hopefully God had plan B, someone else he sent in, I didn't do it. Lastly, 
continue to pray faithfully. If the prayers you are praying may not be answered immediately, so don't give up. Persist in prayer. This advice doesn't just apply to us as individuals, it applies to us also as a church. Let's read one of my favourite stories in the Bible. Well, I've got lots of actual favourite stories, but I like this one. This is in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. And it was about this time that King Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw this met the approval among the Jews, with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And I'll just read that again, right? The church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second gates and they came to the gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. So Peter's in prison awaiting trial that's probably going to end in death for him. They were looking for an excuse to kill him. Most people would have been lying there awake worrying about what was going to happen. But not Peter. He had a confidence that whether he lives or dies, God will be with him. And it's now late at night and God sends an angel to set him free. And this is the funny bit, I reckon. Peter's so sound asleep that the angel has to strike Peter's side, literally giving him a good jab 
to wake him up, right? He's asleep. I mean, when you've got an exam the next day or some major event, how well are you going to sleep beforehand? Probably not that's not that well. But Peter's seen how to sleep. They had to poke him and wake him up. So Peter miraculous, miraculously escapes. And when he realises it's not a dream, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And it's late. But what does he find when he gets there? Are they all asleep? No, they're having a prayer meeting where they're earnestly praying for Peter. <laughs> and they're believing for God to intervene in the situation and turn things around. And I guess when he turned up, <laughs> they were somewhat surprised, unfortunately. Right? There was nothing else that could be done, but their trust in God's faithfulness and they were able to pray Peter out of prison. They prayed... God heard and uh, Peter was released. And it always fascinates me that as we pray and at times fast, we begin to bring pressure to bear in the spiritual world and that the problem we're praying about breaks open, falls apart and we move to a new level. Now there's no set formula for praying. We don't have to do unusual or extraordinary things to get God's attention. All we need is a humble heart. The ancient Jews often sat in the, in the ashes, possibly at the local rubbish tip, dressed in sackcloth, that is rough clothing, to show their repentance for their sins and to let God know that they were serious. Look, we don't have to sit in the ashes at the rubbish tip to get God's attention we just simply need to humble ourselves, knowing that all our other, when all our other lines of support are gone, we know we can trust in him. So why do Christians pray? Because it's a way that which we can come into God's presence. We mightn't be able to see what's going on, but we are moving directly into God's presence as we're praying. And it's not like, he hasn't showed up, it's because we've showed up in his presence and we begin to see things change. And that's something that we can all do because we are all God's children. So let's pray together. Father, I just thank you that you're an awesome God, that you love us, that you care for us. And uh, Lord, we see that we can move in this spiritual dimension and come before you and just know that you're hearing our prayers and Lord, we just thank you for that because it's a great hope that we have. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here that as we're going out this day, that we're just going to know that you're with us and that as we reach out to you in prayer, that you are there and you've heard each word that we've said. So, Lord, we thank you for this hope now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church. Or come along to our Sunday service at 10am.